Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to be back in Carrick again, and lovely to be with you this morning, and to have the opportunity to um, open God's Word um, with you. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you uh, to turn to the book of Titus, please, the book of Titus, and we're going to read the entirety of chapter 2. Titus is towards the end of uh, the New Testament, once you reach all the T's, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus um, is at the end. Let's hear God's word together, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So reads God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our Father, we praise you this morning that your word is living and active. And we ask that by your grace, that might be our experience. We pray that as we bow ourselves before your word, as we hear it read and applied to our lives, we ask that your spirit would change us, that he would comfort us where we need comforted, and that he would challenge us where we need challenged. We pray these things for our own good, but ultimately for your glory. Amen. The the TV show Frasier is one of the very few spin-offs that turned out to be a successful uh, TV show. And in season six, there is uh, five minutes of perhaps the most amusing series of unfortunate events uh, that I've ever seen on TV. Frasier's brother Niles is preparing a Valentine's Day dinner for his girlfriend in Frasier's apartment. And as he awaits her arrival, he notices that there's a crease in the wrong place on his trousers. Now, Niles is very particular, so this will not do. 
He has time to sort it though, so he gets the ironing board out, he gets the iron out, and off come the trousers as he seeks to rectify this crease. As he's ironing though, he finds a thread on the trousers. Did I mention Niles is very particular, this will not do. And so he sets the iron down and off he goes to find a pair of scissors. As he's cutting this thread, he gets distracted by his father's dog that's up at the table threatening to eat the meal that he is preparing. And in his distraction, he nips his finger with the scissors. Not only is Niles particular, he's also squeamish. And this sight of blood he doesn't deal well with, and so he faints over the arm of the sofa. The dog licks his face, brings him around again, but now there's blood all over the sofa from his finger. Niles goes into the kitchen to find some cleaning product to remove the stain from the sofa. And as he's cleaning the blood off the sofa, his handkerchief falls off his cut finger, and again he sees the blood, and so he faints once more, and he pours all of the cleaning product all over the sofa. The dog barks, he comes around again. While returning the cleaning product to the kitchen, Niles then begins to smell some smoke. He checks all the pots and pans in which dinner is being cooked, but they're all fine. And so he follows his nose back out into the living area, and there he sees the iron sitting on his trousers and the smoke beginning to bellow from it. By the time he gets there, the trousers are on fire. In a panic, he lobs the trousers onto the sofa, and apparently that cleaning product was flammable, and so the sofa goes up in flames. He grabs a fire extinguisher, but unable to control the nozzle, he wastes all of it before he manages to point it at the fire. He then rushes into the kitchen, he grabs the pots that are full of water and dinner, and he dumps them on the fire. He puts it out, but now there's smoke everywhere, and so he goes to the door to waft the door of the apartment to get the smoke out. As he does so, the handkerchief falls off his finger once more, he faints, and the dog begins eating the remains of the dinner from the sofa nightmare. One thing after another, after another, after another, going wrong. And it's a brilliant example of the domino effect. One unfortunate event leads to the next unfortunate event, which leads to the next one. And in Titus chapter 2, Paul shares with Titus another domino effect. One event leading to another event leading to another one. However, it's much more positive than what Niles experienced. But each element is no less dependent on the previous one. And it can all be summarized in a single sentence. The right teachings lead to right living for the right reason. The right teachings lead to right living for the right reason. And we're going to unpack that sentence this morning. First, the right teachings. Right teachings are, are what the Apostle Paul calls sound doctrine, brackets Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 1 with me. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Look at verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the emphasis in this chapter. In Titus chapter 1, Paul makes it clear that the local church are to put the right teachers in place. And in chapter 2, Paul makes it clear that this should result in right teaching, sound doctrine. Right teachings are Paul's concern. And Paul describes this doctrine that is to be taught as sound, as healthy in verse 1. And another way, and another way of saying it is he's asking them to teach that what is right. 
Something which is sound or healthy, it's good, it's beneficial, it's as it should be, it's the right teachings. After elaborating on all of that in the middle of the chapter, which we'll look at in a moment, Paul then returns to this theme and he commands Titus in verse 15 to teach this sound doctrine. The concept of right teachings also appears in the middle of the chapter. Look at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. Verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. In verse 3, it's older women who are to teach what is good. It's a different term used by Paul here in verse 3, but it carries the same connotation. Teach that which is right. Teach that which is healthy, which is sound, which is good. Likewise, Titus is to teach with integrity, dignity, and sound speech in verses 7 and 8. That's who's being addressed in those verses. Paul is clearly concerned that Titus teach sound doctrine, teach the right teachings. And that those in the Cretan church then follow Titus' example. So next question is, well, what is to be taught exactly? What is right teaching? Well, the phrase at the end of verse 10 offers us the answer. The doctrine of God our Savior. This is the, the key to understanding the content of right teaching. All right teaching must revolve around God our Savior. There can be no right teaching without a clear focus on the holy God wronged by his creation, providing sacrifice for sin that he requires in the person of his son so that we, the rebels, can be forgiven. The doctrine of God, our Savior. If you happen to be here this morning and you're not a Christian, then you need to hear this. This needs to be clear in your mind. The right teachings consist of the God of the Bible offering you forgiveness from your sin because of the death of Jesus Christ. God the Father offers forgiveness because of the sacrifice of God the Son, and you can respond only because God the Spirit enables you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the right teachings that Paul is talking about here. Implicit in Paul's command to Titus is a knowledge of this sound doctrine or these right teachings. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, the question is, do you know the right teaching? More, do you love the right teaching? Do you know the doctrine of God your Savior? I have a friend who has an unending thirst for knowledge. He is never satisfied with a simple explanation. He always wants to dig into every piece of information to discover how true it actually is. But whenever he was converted, um, he read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He read this. I have a PhD in theology and I still haven't read all of this. He wanted to know everything there was to know. Whenever he gets a new car, he reads this. His owner's manual. Have you ever read any of this? I haven't. The man in the garage does all my work for me. But he wants to know everything. 
Whenever he needs to get something done in his house, he'll research exactly what needs to be done, why it needs to be done, and how much it should cost, and dear help whoever he asks to come and do it, because he's going to tell them what to do. He simply leaves no stone unturned. All of that sounds a little bit exhausting, doesn't it? And yet it's a helpful picture of what Paul is calling for here in Titus 2. So permit me to ask you those questions again. Do you know the right teaching? Someone asks you to explain it, can't you? More, do you love the right teaching? Do you desire to know it, to grow in it? As Christians, we should know and love right teachings. The gospel of God, our Savior. We should be devoting ourselves to growing in sound doctrine. We should be devouring our Bibles daily, committing Scripture to memory, learning all that God reveals about himself, comprehending better all that Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection for us, seeing the way in which the Holy Spirit empowers us for this life of learning. We should be listening to good preachers, learning to love Scripture the way they do, considering the applications that they offer. We should be spending time with fellow Christians discussing the truths of Scripture. Our God has given us minds, and we're often happy to exercise them to calculate how big a mortgage we can afford, or happy to use them to pass exams and interviews. We're happy to make them work whenever we think there's some immediate material benefit. But when it comes to Christianity, well, all we need to know is that Jesus saved me. Don't need to worry about anything else. I can just sit back and wait. That's how you think this morning, perhaps the author to the Hebrews has a challenge for you. This is what he writes in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 through to the beginning of chapter 6. He writes, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And in other, in other words, he's saying, get to know the right teachings, grow, develop, mature in these things. And the right teachings are so important because they lead to right living. There is no right living without right teachings. But if Titus teaches what accords with sound doctrine, if he teaches these right teachings, then right living should follow. It's the domino effect. It's the next thing in the line. To ensure this, Titus should teach the variety of groups in the Cretan church how they should be living in light of these teachings. And so Paul explains what he should do. Look at verse 2. Paul begins by addressing older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Right living for older men includes, but is in no way limited to, a balanced thought life. They are to be sober-minded. 
and uprightness in actions. They are to be dignified, self-controlled. Older men should be beacons of Christian character, traits such as faith, love, and steadfastness should emanate from them. One commentator writes, Blessed is a church that has among its members older men who are models of dignity, respectability, and wisdom. Blessed indeed is the church. Paul then moves on to older women in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Right living for older women includes the uprightness in actions that men are called to. They're to be reverent in behavior. We all know that women are, are generally, not exclusively, generally better talkers than men. And so Paul gives them this warning about the standard that that speech should attain. They're not to be slanderers. There's also a warning here about consuming alcohol. Note that uh, the right living for older women includes teaching younger women. Uh, And Paul then goes on to tell older women what they should teach younger women in verses 4 and 5. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Right living for younger women should be immediately apparent in their love for their husbands and children, if they have them. They too are to be upright in their actions, self-controlled, pure, working hard at home, kind, submissive to their husbands. Let me make a further comment on just a couple of those statements. First of all, the working hard at home. That, that does not forbid a woman from working outside of the home. It's actually tackling the issue of laziness. Whenever Paul wrote this letter to Titus, women did not pursue careers outside of the home. Uh, and so it could be easy to stay home, drink wine, slander others, gossip with people around. And so Paul says, don't be lazy at home, work hard, be diligent. Second, be submissive. This does not mean be a doormat. There is, however, a pattern of male headship set down in Scripture. From creation, Adam and Eve, to new creation, Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. The significant element here, I think, in this passage is that submission is not demanded, but should be offered by the wife. As for younger men, well, look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Seems like the younger men maybe get off lightly here, but I think that while Paul turns to address Titus in verses 7 and 8, Titus is to serve as an example for the other young men in Crete. And so they too, in verses 7 and 8, are to show themselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Therefore, young men are to exercise self-control, to be a model of good works. They should have integrity, dignity, sound speech. These are all very broad categories which encompass a lot of life. Younger men have much 
to work on. All of this that Paul goes through, this is the, the right living that is the result from the right teaching. And the reason that this kind of right living results from right teachings is because all of this right living is only accomplished in and through the gospel. Look at verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Experiencing salvation should bring about this change. Experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ should make it impossible to not be different. A few years ago, Tracy and I visited the Tato Castle in uh, Tandragee um, with some of my extended family. It was a fascinating tour. I'm sure many of you have probably done it. We got loads of free crisps, and we learned some things that will forever change the way I eat a packet of crisps. The most astonishing fact that I heard was that in an ordinary packet of crisps, there are five potatoes. Five. Apparently it's true. It gets worse. In a share packet of crisps, there are 25 potatoes, and sometimes I don't even share. I will never eat a bag of crisps in the same way again. It is impossible for me to look at them in the same way. And that is the impact that right teaching should have on us. They should lead to right living. It should be impossible not to be different. One commentator puts it like this, proper behavior stems from proper theology. To truly live differently, we need to know the truth. But in knowing the truth, we can never be the same again. Our doctrine must work itself out in our deeds. Scripture should ensure that we never live the same way again. This is the the domino effect that Paul is talking about. Paul assures his reader that right living is the result of right teaching. The intimate connection is described by Martin Luther whenever he writes, because those who are not Christians cannot see our faith, they ought to see our works. Then hear our doctrine and then be converted. Unbelievers can't see our faith, so they should see our works, which should provide an opportunity to share the gospel, and that is how they come to faith. If you're missing sound doctrine, you are not living right. And I can say that because the right teachings lead to right living for the right reason. And that right reason is the gospel. Paul rounds off this second chapter of Titus by rooting everything in this right reason, the gospel. There are hints earlier in this chapter that this thinking undergirds the flow of Paul's thought. In verse 5, Paul urges Titus to teach the older women, to teach the younger women, that the word of God may not be reviled. That's the purpose for this right living, the gospel. Right teaching leads to right living for the right reason, upholding the gospel. In verse 8, Paul urges Titus to uh, engage in right living so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. 
Paul is emphasizing that Christians should be self-controlled, spiritually healthy, and thereby enhancing the gospel's reputation. And all of this is made explicit in verses 11 to 14. Look at those verses with me. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do not miss the word for at the beginning of these verses. This is the link. The right teaching and the right living that Paul has been laboring in this chapter with Titus are all because of the gospel. The gospel is the incentive. It is the motivation. It is the right reason to engage in right living. Why should we care about accurate doctrine and godly lifestyles? Because the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. He has given himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. In fact, not only does Jesus save us from lawlessness, he purifies us, making us zealous for good works. This is why we must pay attention to our beliefs and our behavior, because Jesus is our Savior. Gospel also includes the fact that Jesus is returning again. That's what verse 13 is referring to, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing, Jesus Christ's return. Throughout the New Testament, the return of Jesus Christ always carries ethical implications. We are to live properly and teach properly because Christ is returning. This is the gospel This is the right reason for engaging in right teaching and right living. It's the motivation for acting. And we all know what it is to have our thinking and our actions motivated by something in particular. Whenever I I lived in Carrick, I lived out the Beltoy Road in the countryside, up a long, steep lane. Uh, And on the morning that I had committed to proposing to Tracy, I woke up and there had been a snowfall. I was snowed in. So what did I do? Well, I spent the whole morning shoveling half a mile of lane to make it to the road. Why? Because I was motivated to propose to Tracy. Sorry for the offense, but the gospel is far more significant than my proposal. The gospel is certainly worth every effort in right teaching and right living upholding scripture, silencing opponents, adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ with the hard work of accurate doctrine and godly lifestyles. The gospel is the right reason for engaging in all of these things. In fact, it spurs us on in it. Consider the fact that God the Son left the perfect union of the Trinity in heaven to be born of a woman. The creator of the universe wheels in the arms of his creation out of a need to be fed. The infallible son of God bows in humble submission to the fallible Joseph and Mary. 
The sinless one suffers the ultimate effect of the first sin, death. And all of this to redeem us. Should we not desire in response to honor our Savior by knowing the truth about him, by living that truth out in our lives, and by doing it all because of the one who is all truth? This is the right reason for pursuing accurate doctrine and godly lifestyles. Philip Tarner summarizes this chapter by writing, Christian ethics, to be Christian, must emerge from, correspond to, and serve the message of Scripture. Christian ethics, to be Christian, must emerge from, correspond to, and serve the message of the Scriptures. And and that's what we've been observing here in Titus chapter 2. The right teachings lead to right living for the right reason. This is the domino effect, the chain of events. Working backwards, all Christians would acknowledge that they want to honor God and the gospel. If we wish to do that, Paul teaches us here that that it's accomplished by living faithful lives. However, Paul makes it clear that living faithful lives is only achieved by knowing accurate doctrine. Or, as we have put it today, the right teachings lead to right living for the right reason. And pray that God blesses his word to our hearts. And we're going to respond to God's word by standing uh, and singing together. Um, Great song, Speak, O Lord. So let's pray that the Lord will speak to us through his word.